This Bible study podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Good morning. So this week, we turn to a kind of unique lesson, because most of the time when we read the book of Ruth, we read it to read about Ruth. We like to imagine ourselves as Ruth. But so much of this lesson was about Naomi. Um, So I'm going to start out with reading part of our passage from today, just to kind of begin with that. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both uh, Malone and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughter-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Something that's kind of neat in my footnotes, it says that the name Bethlehem actually means house of bread. So the Lord is visiting and he's giving Bethlehem bread into the house of bread. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your daughter-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go I will go, and where you lodge I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die I will die, and there will I be buried." May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Um, And then there was one last little bit that I wanted to share. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? 
So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So like I said, most of us like to read about Ruth, and we like to imagine ourselves as her. And I think part of that is because even in the face of tragedy and uncertainty, um, you almost forget that Ruth has suffered too. You believe Naomi when she says, it's, worth for, it's worse for me than it is for you. Um, because Ruth never seems to get stuck, right? She's this bold, beautiful, courageous, kind, and relentlessly active young woman. But not quite so much with Naomi. Naomi was the young mother who left her country full, and she comes back empty. And the loss has caused her to question everything, even her own identity. Call me Mara, bitter, she tells her old neighbors in Bethlehem, because that's what life has become. Not sad, not simply uncertain, but bitter. The dictionary defines bitter as having a sharp, pungent taste or smell, not sweet, angry, hurt, or resentful because of one's bad experience or a sense of unjust treatment, painful or unpleasant to accept or contemplate. And indeed, bitterness is hard to swallow. Bitterness can't help but remember what is good and sweet. It rejects what is because it insists this is not the way things are supposed to be. And yet it is. And sometimes no amount of anger, denial, or sadness changes what has happened. We see this so clearly in Naomi, this bitter, defeated woman who has taken a hard look at her life and her options, and she's concluded that there's nothing that she or Ruth can do. Even if I had a husband tonight, even if I were young enough to conceive again, and it turned out to be a boy, would you wait for him to grow up, Ruth? She's got a problem for every answer, because deep down she knows this is not the way her story was supposed to end. Well, she's right and she's wrong about that, isn't she? As I read through the passage, something that stuck out at me was the public reaction to her return. It says that all of Bethlehem was stirred. Now, Bethlehem wasn't that big of a town, so maybe it's not such a surprise that everybody knows when Naomi and Ruth come walking through the gates. Um, And I grew up in a small town, so I know firsthand what happens when someone comes back from they've been gone for 10 years and, oh, look at what the cat dragged in, right? You, there's gossip all over the town to say, oh, my goodness, she's back. And everybody knows what Naomi was, and they know her story, but there are people, um, they're all shocked. And I think that maybe when we remember that these people, the people of Bethlehem, Why were they so shocked? They were the ones who stayed, after all, for the famine. They were the ones who starved for 10 years. They've been through some rough times, too. And that leads me to wonder, so why is it that Naomi and her husband were able to leave? Why was she different than them? And I don't know exactly, but, you know, was there something unique about Naomi's position in life that she and her husband had the means to escape the famine? So maybe that might be part of the reason why when they see her, they are shocked. She left full and she comes back empty. Another clue is maybe in her name change. Naomi reveals that um, when she says, 
So the word Naomi means pleasant. And just off the bat, we would probably say, oh, she's a pleasant person. Maybe she has a pleasant disposition. But when she says, call me Mara, she's not really referring to herself, I think, so much as her circumstances. She explains that by going to say, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly to me. So the bitterness in her name that she's choosing for herself doesn't necessarily describe herself so much or her personality. It describes her circumstances, her life situation. And I wonder if that, again, doesn't maybe the contrast of that isn't maybe to say that before she left, her life was pleasant. It was comfortable. It was easy. And so that also provides this fuel to the sense of this is not the way it's supposed to be. My life is supposed to be comfortable. It's supposed to be pleasant. And now, all of a sudden, there's this reversal. Maybe this indicates that Naomi's identity was in a small way based on her circumstances and perhaps even how other people identified her. Because she doesn't say, I'm bitter. She says, call me bitter. She's thinking about their response to her. But the real source of depression for Naomi is the sense that what all of this means, that God has turned against her. When times were good, she knew that God smiled on her. But now that her circumstances have changed, she's convinced that God must have had it in for her. Because he's sovereign, right? He's in control. So why would he send her this sorrow? She's probably pretty sure she hasn't done anything wrong to deserve this, and it doesn't make sense. She's hurt, and she's lost, and she's confused, and she's not alone. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had a circumstance in your life or a a reversal of fortune where you say, I don't understand why this is. Where are you, God? Have you turned away from me? Suffering has a way of stripping down all of our defenses. It's a revealer of where we've put our hope and our strength. So as we look at, that was Naomi's reaction to the tragedy here. Let's take a look at God. In his reaction in it. We know we have the Cliff Notes version, right, of her story, and we can kind of skip ahead, and we can know that God wasn't done with her. Even though she has this this very bitter and angry and sorrowful um, reaction to her circumstances, God hasn't abandoned her. He has a bigger plan. It's not the end of her story. He has other things in store. She just can't see that. And I think it's important to remember that God's love is constant even when our circumstances change. His promises don't go away. His love doesn't stop even when we can't see it or feel it. And God is the same, but his children are all different. And we all react differently to suffering, don't we? I like how in the study it talked about, it brought up the Psalms and it brought up all of those um, parts in the Bible where people, where they do struggle. They struggle with suffering. That's a very natural human response. Um, But we all do struggle differently. Some of us put on a brave face. Some of us say, you know what, whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And that's our way of sort of looking forward to the happily ever after to try and like pull ourselves through the suffering. Um, Some of us get more bogged down. 
Some of us question things. Some of it turn it on ourselves and say, what did we do wrong? Some of us turn it on God. We all have these very different um, reactions, and that's, that's okay. We're all different. And it's worth noting that God responds to each of us individually as well. I started to look through the Bible and trying to think of where were some other examples of times when people were struggling, when they were suffering, and they had their response to it, and to say, how did God respond to them uniquely? And off the top of my head, I would think, well, first of all, there's Job, right? He suffered tremendously, and he came to God, and he wanted to present his case, That was his response of, Lord, I want to defend myself, and I want to present my case, and I want some answers. And God didn't exactly give him the reason why, but God did show up. He allowed Job to present his case, and then he presented himself. That was God's response to Job, and it was enough. Um, In Elijah, he had a part in his life where he had done everything he could, and he was under tremendous persecution. And he ends up being in the wilderness, and he gets to the point where he's just like, it's over. I'm done. I can't do anymore, God. And really, when you look at it from modern eyes, you kind of look at it and you go, he's experiencing extreme exhaustion and probably physical depression as well. I think it's also worth noticing there that what God does is he doesn't come and give him a pep talk or tell him it's going to be okay or anything. God comes to him, and what does he give him? Food. And he tells him to rest. And then he brings Elisha into the ministry. He gives him very physical um, nourishment because probably in Elijah, a lot of what was going on was he was tired (laughs) and hungry, and he was physically exhausted. When we look at the story of Lazarus with Mary and Martha, Jesus responds to each of them differently. They're both struggling with this feeling of abandonment. But with Martha, she needs some words of comfort from Jesus. And with Mary, he just weeps with her. He doesn't even bother to give her words because that's not what she needs. She needs someone to cry with her. So I would say... We should probably caution against attributing our own experience to someone else's situation because of this, because God deals with each of us individually. But what about if you or someone else is in a situation where it feels like all God is giving you is silence? Those are some of the trickiest times of all, because God sometimes doesn't give us the comfort that we we are wanting or expecting. Um, some of us have experiences where we've been through grief and we say, oh, I could feel God's presence so strongly. God was, he was like this warm blanket around me, just comforting me and walking me through it. And some of us are going, I'm crying out and I hear nothing. Why is that? Do you love them more than you love me, Lord? Why are, why the silence? And, um, I've kind of been in a place like that, but this summer um, there was a sermon, I can't even exactly say where it was exactly, but it finally clicked to me this summer that in those moments of silence, God is honoring our pain. Have you ever come to, we're all ladies, have you ever come to your husband or a friend or something and, you, and you're venting out your frustration and your anger about something and then they have an answer for it? And you go, okay, I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want the solution right now. I didn't want the pep talk. What I wanted was some, because when when you give that to them, it feels like you're just discounting all my pain, right? I think 
that when God gives us these silences, God is not contradicting how we feel. He's not nullifying our loss by saying it's okay, by even pointing to the fact that he's going to have something better in it. What he's doing is he is allowing us to feel our pain, and he is honoring that. And in time, then he suddenly, you know, when we're ready, he begins to speak to us again. But if you have a moment of silence like that with God, I think you can take comfort in the fact that he is honoring your pain. Um, So when we look at Naomi, what is God's response to her? Ruth. He doesn't necessarily come give her words of comfort or whatever, but he sends a friend to her. And that's what Ruth's name means. It means friend. When Naomi could not hear or accept from God, he placed those words, those actions in Ruth. And she saw it lived out in her life through Ruth. Now, our natural impulse in loss is to pull back, to retreat into ourselves and to go it alone. It's kind of a self-protective mechanism. And very often this is the worst thing that we can do when we're suffering. Um, And it works both ways, whether it be our suffering, our loss, or a friend's loss. Because sometimes when a friend is going through grief, we go, I don't want to make the wound worse. (laughs) I, I don't want to hurt them. So we try to pull back and give them distance. But Ruth is showing us um, a different way. Not to say if there isn't a time and a space for giving people time to, you know, deal with things themselves. But um, in this situation, the Bible says that she clings to Naomi. And that word also means to hold fast. I think that's a big contrast to the way that... um, Naomi is, she's holding on to the past and she's rejecting the pain, rejecting the present. And instead, Ruth is clinging to Naomi. She doesn't contradict Naomi and tell her that she's wrong or mistaken, even though she could. She doesn't try to comfort her and give her a pep talk. Instead, she fully identifies herself with Naomi, even if it means costing something from herself. And you also see that when she says, um, when she gives that beautiful, beautiful, um, those beautiful words to Naomi about saying that where you go, I'm going to go to, she's using covenantal language, actually. And she's also rooting it. You can tell that she's rooting her her affection and the fact that she's holding fast to Naomi. It's an expression of the way that she is clinging to God, Right? And I think that that ought to be our response as well. That when we're going through hard times or when people close to us are going through hard times, we cling to God, we hold fast to him, and we hold fast to other people in our lives as well. It is so important for us to suffer in community. Both as someone who is going through the tough time, because sometimes we need a handout of that hole, right? We need a a lift, but also for those of us who are around, when we reject that pain and that suffering and we stand off at a distance, we are rejecting an opportunity for God to work through us and to work in us. Something that was also really beautiful, and we haven't read further enough into it, but you'll see later on that when Boaz um, talks to Naomi, 
He gives her a blessing, and he, he sees what she is doing for Naomi. He's moved by that, and he says, The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He notices that what she's doing for Naomi is an expression of what she's doing that for the Lord. And he calls upon God to give her um, a full, as it be, a commensurate reward for what she has done. But what he doesn't realize is that he is going to be the answer to his own prayer. And it's illustrated so beautifully because later on, um, when Naomi gives Ruth this plan to go propose to him, she comes to him and she says, take your cloak, take your wing, and spread it over it. It's this like direct correlation um, that he is the answer to his own prayer for her. Um, as we think about the importance of suffering in community um, and what God can do when we do, there have been, God has just been bringing up so many examples, great examples of, of people suffering well together this weekend. Um, there was a Sam Day soiree this weekend, and they, remained, they totally um, beat their goals for how much money they were going to be raising for cancer research. Um, I happened to see on Facebook some of you may remember, um, there's a woman from Forest Grove, Susan Dieter, I believe her last name is, and she lost her two daughters through a terrible accident three years ago, this Thursday. And she has taken her pain, and she has chosen to live in a way that um, honors the memory of her daughters by loving others. And a lot of that is in her love for God as well. So she has the Love Rocks campaign. You probably have, if you're anywhere near Forest Grove, you probably heard about that. And um, I just saw on Facebook this weekend, someone posted on her Love Rocks page that, um, remember there were the, um, the shootings in, was it Orlando, Florida, in Florida at the nightclub? And when that happened, she was actually out of the country. And she kind of posted on her page to say, can anyone please, please, please send love rocks to Florida and just please surround them with prayer and with love. And people responded, and they did. And so just this last week, there was a young woman who um, was part of that community. And she came back this last week for the first time since that the shootings had happened. And, and it was a really raw, traumatic moment for her. And as she was there just kind of absorbing the memories and the pain of all that, she looks down at the ground and there's a little heart winking out at her from underneath a bush. And she picks it up and she looks and she finds the Facebook address on the back. And so she goes online to see, what is this? What does this mean? And, they, and, and she's welcomed into a community of grief. And she's welcomed into a community where they, they're saying, yes, this is hard. This is, we are with you, and we're inviting you to do something with your pain, to turn it into love and to turn it into other people. Um, that just happened this week. I thought that was just really beautiful. All of these are examples of where people have suffered together in faith, where they have clung to God and they have clung to each other. There's that great verse about all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. And I think that we sometimes try to think, to apply that to our circumstances and think that the circumstances are going to change. In the end, the circumstances, the ends are going to justify the means. And often they do. 
um, with hindsight, Ruth and Boaz would not have gotten together if there hadn't been a famine to bring Naomi and her family over into Moab. Um, If Ruth's husband had not died, she would have no need (laughs) to remarry Boaz. And if all those things hadn't happened, she would not have come back into Israel to meet Boaz in the first place. And if they hadn't come back together, well, then you know what? King David would never have been born. And our Savior would not have been able to be descended from that particular lineage. So God used all of those circumstances. I won't go so far as to say that he um, planned those things to happen, um, but he certainly used it for good. So, I mean, yes, our circumstances sometimes do turn out that way, but often, maybe more often, the victory is not so much in our circumstances, but in us, in how God is using suffering to change us. We see with um, Naomi um, that Ruth's, the way that Ruth reaches out to her, the way that she loves her through this, um, gives her the power to later on, she goes from being this helpless, defeated woman to it's her plan. She's the one who has this audacious, bold plan uh, to tell Ruth what to do, to be able to go after Boaz. (laughs) Um, Ruth would not have had that idea. She, you know, maybe didn't even have the, the experience or the knowledge of Israelite customs to even know how to go about doing that. So I love that that changes Naomi. I love how it changes Ruth and Boaz that they are become the answer to their own prayers. Um, there's also, all right, I'll just close here also with, um, I have a, a great story about that just happened yesterday. Um, I realize I have been through tough times myself. I've been through dark moments, but I have not ever lost someone close to me. I've never gone through that kind of grief. And so I was a little bit hesitant going into this to go, how can I speak into those kind of situations when I haven't um, experienced that particular kind of loss myself? And knowing that many of you have. But I was praying a lot about it and saying, okay, God, maybe I, should, maybe I should talk to someone who has, someone who's gone through widowhood or the loss of a child or something. And I was just praying about that. And yesterday, as I was sitting down to sort of finish up my lesson, all of a sudden I, I pray, I have my papers out, I start writing, and all of a sudden my phone rings. And I go, oh, okay, there's an interruption. And I look, and it's my friend. Um, and I thought, oh, I'm not sure that I necessarily want to take time for a phone call. I've, I've got a lot to work to do and stuff. And I'm like, well, no, I'm just, I'm going to give her, I'm going to, you know, pick up that phone call and spend that time with her. And it turns out I am so glad that I did because she was a direct answer to prayer. We talked for a while about general things. And then all of a sudden she starts going on about um, some experiences that happened to her a year ago. And she starts saying, you know, Alyssa, God is so good, and, and I just realized that um, you can't have the refining without the fire. I've just realized that in my life. And it was like, oh, Lord, okay. Now, this particular friend of mine has been through a miscarriage and a great deal of depression afterwards. So she has experienced this loss. So all of a sudden I go, okay, I'm going to start taking notes. And so I started asking her, What did you learn through all this? What did God give you through this? And she said, well, 
I learned how close he is to me, not how close I am to him. And I said, well, when did, what made it better when you were going through all of this? She said, and she thought about it, and she goes, well, the thing is, I always knew, I, I never forgot who I was. I was his beloved. And so even though I didn't like what was going on, I didn't know why he was doing it, I knew who I was and that I was his beloved. And I said, so when did trust start to come back? And she said, well, I went to a woman's conference, you remember, and there was a speaker who was talking about hope. And something that really stuck out at me was a speaker, speaker said, hope isn't a flimsy thing. It is steadfast. It is sure. It is certain. And she said that was when it all of a sudden started to click for me. She said, my hope was a flimsy thing, but God's hope never changes. I can rest in God's hope no matter what because he doesn't ever change and his love for me doesn't change. So I can rest on that. So then I said, okay, well, if you could say anything to um, the ladies I'm going to speak to, if you had any message for them, what would you say? And she said, well, the first trial is hard. It's really hard. But once you get through it, then it becomes easier because you start to have your hope rest on something a little bit less tenuous. Um, And she said, I would say that I would encourage people to trust God and um, to realize that when God is in the story, he uses everything. Even if you make a mistake, he's going to use your mistake to make you better. But no matter what, he uses it and he is good. So as we um, close up today, I want you to, in your groups, think about um, when you've maybe been through situations like this, what have, what have been the gifts of grief that God has given you? And if you've been through a time like that, please share those experiences with the women around you because we want to make sure that we suffer well in community. We suffer well as a group, as a church, um, because we know that our hope isn't flimsy. We know that even when we can't see what God's going to do, and I'm going to, you know, we're, going to, we're not going to go there until next week. But in those moments, we know that we can hold fast to God and we can hold fast to each other. Father God, I thank you so much for um, this lesson. I thank you, Lord, that you are good. And I thank you, God, that that is something that we can hold fast to. I pray for these women, Lord, um, and I pray that um, that all these truths would be made real in their life, Lord. I pray that we would be able to learn how to suffer well in community. In Jesus' name, amen.